free world is better at backing up than he is at looking forward when the courts won't hear the truth when a sitting congressperson openly calls for violence where do you turn for clarity you turn to the truth tnn the truth news network and dan newman well let me just tell you this i'm pretty darn sure you came to the right place to get some facts 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 matter, folks. We learned that a long time ago. In fact, that's what began this entire journey for us. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to TNN Live, a production of Truth News Network. So thankful to have you with us here every morning. Those of you who take the time to um, just sit back and listen, maybe you're doing some housework. Maybe you got the earbuds in, or maybe you're sitting at your desk watching your computer doing work and you have your earbuds in. However you get here, we're so glad you come. And we have a lot to get into today, pretty much every day. And I got to be honest with you, I, uh, I, I'm asked often, don't you wish that it wasn't so controversial, everything in our government wasn't so controversial? If it was, you wouldn't have a thing to talk about. I got to be completely honest with you, years ago, in fact, as the preparations were made for Bill Clinton to run for re-election, remember that time? This was just, when was that? Um, 1990, well, he won in, so it'd be 1996, 1997. Uh, this was not but just a decade after Rush Limbaugh uh, began his show, his national show, the Rush Limbaugh show. And one of his callers asked him, said, um, if Bill Clinton doesn't win re-election and he's beaten by the Republican running against him, won't you be sad? You won't have anything to talk about. And Rush Limbaugh didn't wait, hesitate at all. He immediately fired back and says, as long as we have a government, as long as we have people in our government, we're going to have plenty of stuff to talk about every day. And folks, it's not just about government. In fact, it shouldn't be about government at all. Why? I mean, that's an important part of our lives, right? Our U.S. government, no doubt about it. But why it's so controversial and why there's so much angst going on in our government that we talk about here, and you do too, every day, it's because they no longer represent the people who elect them to go there. Think about it. We pull out a lever or push a button or write a name in on a ballot to elect whoever we choose for whatever office we're voting for. That's true. But you know who are really electing our people that serve for us? Lobbyists, huge campaign contributors, dark money coming in from all over. Why is dark money even accepted? Why, did, why, why don't they just do away with it? Well, the problem is the word they. Members of Congress are the ones that voted to allow dark money to be part of the campaign process. Now, what's dark money? It gives people the ability to hide who they are when they give money to these dark money super PACs, and it can be done anonymously, so their names are never revealed. They don't have to be legally. 
Think about that. Those are the people, the ones that make those big contributions. Those are the ones that are seizing power or putting puppets in place who are going to seize all the power. If none of that existed, folks, there wouldn't be a need for Truth News Network. We'd be able to just open a newspaper and get the facts. Do you think that will ever happen in this nation? Absolutely not. The way we're wired, folks, it's much better and everybody likes it better. If there's a lot of controversy, it gives people a lot of things to talk about. And who's stuck in the middle of it? All of us. The ones that pay the bills. (laughs) We write the checks. We pull the election levers. And it's supposed to be government of the people. It certainly isn't government of the people. It's supposed to be government by the people. Certainly not government by the people. And it really isn't because the first two aren't in play. It's certainly not government for the people. And it should be. And let's hope we can get there someday. And if we do, it's going to be in part because you and I, we get together in agreement. We talk through things. We get facts with which we make decisions. And folks, just remember this. You don't live in a vacuum. You live in a circle of people. You have people that you probably don't even think about or in your circle. We call it a circle of influence. You have influence over many of those or all of those that are in your circle. Identify who's in your circle of influence. You're in theirs too. But identify who they are. Try to expand your circle of influence and communicate, talk to. Let people know what you think and what you feel about all of this stuff. You'll find out in many cases they share the exact same feelings. In many cases they don't. But if you can develop a a relationship, somebody that's going to be in your circle of influence, you'll already have some type of relationship, but it gives you an open door to get involved with them in some way, at least in discussions, sharing ideas, discussing fundamentals and principles that you share and find out which ones you have in common with them. And then maybe just by sharing you can bring them information that they don't have with which they could make some of the same choices you make. That's the way it works, folks. You can't any longer. None of us can trust the mainstream, the state media. We can't trust that as a place of origin for the information we get, what we consume and the outcome, the thought process and the results that we come up with. You can't do that anymore. When I was a kid, it was Huntley Brinkley on NBC, um, Jack Reynolds on ABC, Walter Cronkite on CBS. What those three powerhouse news shows told us, as far as we could even find out in any other way, those were the facts. Now we've got everybody out there that is spinning, doing all kinds of things, figuring out what it'll take to get more readers, more viewers, more listeners than their competitors, and it doesn't matter if what they need or what they identify that they should need, that they're going to have to be able to achieve certain results so they can get the money flowing in. It's all about money. Love of money is the root of all evil. So while we're talking about this um, political process that we're immersed in every day, 
Let me just drop a little bomb of information on you that you probably haven't heard, but it's pretty encouraging for conservatives especially. What is it? Republicans only need to flip five seats in the House of Representatives to pick up the majority in the midterms. Listen to this, though, the good news. So far, more than triple the number of Democrats, 18 total, have decided to officially quit on the House. They have left their seats open for a fight in the midterms, and that gives Republicans a chance to gain another seat since House Republicans only need to net five seats to get the majority and retire Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. A bunch of Democrats in the House, folks, a bunch of them, will be facing very tough re-election battles. And that's just not in a little spot here or there. It's all across the country. Having to campaign in districts that more than likely have different district lines after redistricting. In addition, they sided, many of them, with President Biden on many key partisan issues While his numbers are tanking, guess whose else are tanking? These Democrats in the House. Listen to this. I'm going to give you some names. This is going to blow your mind. There are a bunch of vulnerable Democrats out there, like Representative Tom Suozzi of New York, who's a loyal, confident in Pelosi. He was the 18th House Democrat to say he will be leaving the House to join the crowded race for New York governor. He'll be leaving behind a big suburban district, too, which would be tough for Democrats to hold unless they had a strong incumbent. The only one they have is him, and he's leaving. This will potentially give Republicans a pickup seat in New York, of all places, because Democrats have struggled to find new candidates that are even willing to run for office. Swazi joined the 10 Democrats who announced they're retiring from public office. Representatives Philemon Vila, Democrat of Texas, and Ann Kirkpatrick of Arizona announced their retirements in March. Sheree Bustos from Illinois, the former Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee chairwoman. She announced she's not going to run for re-election. Scandal-ridden Representative Ron Kind of Wisconsin. He's going to retire in August, he said. House Budget Committee Chairman Representative John Yarmuth of Kentucky announced, along with Longtime representatives David Price of North Carolina and Mike Doyle of Pennsylvania, they're both not seeking re-election in October. Representative Jackie Spire of California announced along with longtime rep G.K. Butterfield of North Carolina and House Science, Space, and Technology Committee Chairwoman Edie Bernice Johnson of Texas. They're both not seeking re-election. In November, and the list goes on and on and on. Hold your breath. Hold your breath with me. It is shaping up to be a year from now, next November. It's shaping up to be a bloodbath for Democrats, at least in the House of Representatives, but across the hallway there in the Senate. There's some very controversial runs and some Democrats that are really struggling in the U.S. Senate when it comes to re-election or running for the Senate for the first time. We won't get into that, but we're watching it closely. 
it looks like it may bode well for Republicans, these midterm elections coming up. Don't get really excited, and let me tell you why. Do you remember who controlled the House and the Senate when Donald Trump was elected? The Republicans. The Republicans had, after the election, had Donald Trump in the White House, had Republican control the majority in the House of Representatives, also in the Senate. And folks, for almost two years, Donald Trump couldn't get any of his stuff pushed through. Just because you have majorities in both sides of the Capitol doesn't necessarily mean you have ultimate power if you're a Republican. Now, Democrats, on the other hand, I've always said this. Democrats, they are really closed in. They really, when there's any kind of negative stuff going on, attacks of their members almost universally, not always, but they stand arm in arm in unison and they close in and cover for each other. Wouldn't it be interesting to see if Republicans would do that? That's one reason, the main reason actually, why I'm not a registered Republican. I gave that up years ago. I'm an independent and that way I don't have any pull or any um, so-called requirement to vote for one candidate or another, to vote for one just because they're Republican. I vote for whoever's the best candidate in the race that I'm looking at. You might ought to consider that too. We'll keep you posted as we get through the the new year and it really gets hot in the campaigning and the run-up for the midterm elections next November. Did you hear what Alejandro Mayorkas had to say, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary? This just blew my mind. I didn't hear anybody report on it late last night, but I found it myself. Yesterday, Mayorkas announced something pretty big. He said the administration has begun implementing its latest sanctuary country orders. I didn't even know we had any, but apparently we have, but they weren't implemented. And those orders protect most criminal illegal aliens by barring ICE from arresting and deporting them. Here's what he said, and then we'll break it down together. Quote, today is an important step forward in ensuring that our workforce is empowered to exercise its prosecutorial discretion and focus its enforcement efforts on those who pose a threat to our national security, public safety, and border security. So how did he define it? He said, the DHS will carry out our mission to safeguard our country justly and humanely. I didn't know that was their mission. I thought it was to protect our borders. And he continued, in making our enforcement decisions, we'll focus all our efforts on the greatest threats, which also, at the same time, we're going to recognize that the majority of undocumented non-citizens who have been here for many, many years, who have contributed positively to our country's well-being, are not priorities for removal. This is the guy that sits around the Biden administration table and talks about everything to do 
with enforcing the laws of the United States Constitution. While you just heard the things he said there, not basically, but what it means is we are selectively going to choose which federal laws we enforce, which federal laws we decide we're not going to enforce, and nobody has any say-so about it, even though we all, including the guy that lives in the White House, took an oath and swore to protect and defend the United States Constitution, which is, by the way, the backbone, the skeleton of the rule of law. They all took an oath to. By the way, Joe Biden's an attorney. Alejandro Mayorkas is an attorney. They swore an oath to be attorneys to get their law degree. We're going to support and defend the Constitution. And they're both thumbing their noses at the laws that were duly passed by who? The representatives that you and I sent to the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate. And these guys unilaterally say, ah, we don't care. In February, February, when was that? Ten months ago? It's about that. DHS officials issued their initial orders that stopped ICE agents from arresting and deporting criminal illegal aliens unless they had been recently convicted of an aggravated felony, not just a felony, but an aggravated felony or had been identified as a known gang member or a terrorist. Those initial orders are being challenged today in federal court. The fact an individual is a removable non-citizen, therefore, should not alone be the basis of an enforcement action against them. That's in the new order. Well, the fact that they are, and I'm referencing this quote from his order, the fact that they are a non-citizen and are here, and are here illegally, according to the law, that should be the basis for the enforcement action against them. Not just a basis, folks. There should be no more requirements put in it. They don't have, ICE doesn't have, the Department of Homeland Security doesn't have the legal authority to amend federal law. But they're doing it. How can Joe Biden let that stand? Answer's real simple. He can let it stand because that's exactly what he wants done. He doesn't give a rip about the 600,000-plus Texans alone who are the firsthand recipients of felony criminal acts against them in a two-year period committed by illegal immigrants, illegal aliens that got across the border and were in the U.S. illegally. Think about that. 600,000. What are those crimes that were committed? Everything from first-degree murder down. And Mayorka says, hey, we got the power. We're going to do what we want to do. Forget about that. That happens around the world every day. But you know where it doesn't happen? In countries that are structured 
And the people that are in government adhere to one thing universally, the rule of law. That's what the United States always did, too. Our government, they swore those oaths, and they honored their oaths. I can't imagine back in the 1980s and 1990s, even the early 2000s, I can't imagine anybody at a level like Alejandro Mayorkas, a member of a president's cabinet, that just openly said, screw the Constitution, screw the rule of law. We don't think it's fair, so we're going to enforce it only the way we think it should be enforced. Forget about the people's voice, the United States House of Representatives and United States Senate. Forget about that. We've got more power than they do. Wow. Wow. Where I come from in South Louisiana, you know what we would say about somebody like Mayorkas that would actually get on a national microphone (laughs) in a television interview or whatever and would actually say that? We would say this. Some redneck, some coon ass from South Louisiana would say this. He's got the balls of a brass monkey. But there's no accountability for it. There's no concern or worry that they're going to be held liable for choosing and leading the lawbreakers. There's no incentive to follow the law if you're an illegal alien, period. Moving along, you know who J.D. Vance is. He's an author. Um, He's a U.S. Senate candidate now in the state of Ohio. He was on a GOP Senate forum yesterday, and he said, that the Republicans should avoid giving Democrats a bipartisan flag to wave around as they did with the infrastructure bill. Gosh, that's a novel idea. (laughs) I couldn't understand why so many Republicans actually crossed the aisle and they joined their fellow Democrats. They put their arms around each other and sang kumbaya as they raped the American taxpayers with that infrastructure bill less than half of which is about infrastructure. Here's what Vance said. We gave the Democrats a bipartisan flag to wave around Washington, D.C. They're going to use to spend more money. Now, what should we be doing? Here was his suggestion. Right now, we have the Biden administration enforcing a vaccine mandate down people's throats. At the same time, we have a debt limit coming up. Instead of giving them a bipartisan flag to wave, we should shut down the government until the vaccine mandates ends. Did you hear that? He said we should shut down the government, let the lending uh, authority, let it expire, don't renew it until the vaccine mandate ends. And when he said that, the crowd erupted in applause. We keep on getting outplayed, he said. So as long as we keep sending people to Washington to get outplayed by Democrats, we're going to keep losing our country. In September, if you'll remember, let's go back a couple of months. It's not that far. Biden announced Department of Labor's OSHA department is going to mandate the private companies with a hundred or more employees got a vax or take the weekly test and get negative. If they don't do that, they lose their job. The president waited a couple of months before releasing the details of his plan. 
which would not have even taken effect until January of this year coming up. A company in violation of his mandate under OSHA, if it went into effect, it's being held up now in the courts, but a company could be fined if they didn't enforce that. In other words, you're an employee, you got to get vaxxed, you got to get tested every week, or you're going to get fired. That company could be fined $136,532 per occurrence. Now, he hit a roadblock with it, Biden did, early this month when the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit down south Louisiana, they issued a temporary stay blocking it. Because the petitions give cause to believe there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate, the mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court. That was the chief judge from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Right after that, OSHA suspended the implementation of the vaccine mandate in response to the Fifth Circuit. However, the White House, they didn't stop pushing it. They continue to urge businesses to follow through with the plan and thumb your nose at the court order. Jen Psaki said this, quote, Let me be very clear. Our message to businesses right now, move forward with measures that will make their workplaces safer and protect them and their workforces from COVID-19. Wow. It's illegal. It's going to be tested and continue to be tested over and over and over again until it gets to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I got to be honest with you, if it gets to that point, I can tell you this, coming in the form of of a federal mandate, I'm almost certain the Supreme Court's going to overturn it. But look in the wake of what has happened. Look at the problems that even if the United States Supreme Court makes it, gives an interpretation that says you can't mandate vaccines on American citizens. You just can't do it, even if they do that. Can you imagine the horror that's already been perpetrated How many people have lost their jobs? How many people have died? Now, how could that be? Get killed because somebody didn't get vaccinated? We gave you a story yesterday about a little boy that he stood and watched his father die after a 911 call and there weren't any first responders. They'd been fired because they hadn't been vaccinated. There weren't enough to come take care of his dad. How many incidents like that have already happened that we don't know about? Let me let me just bring it even closer to home to you. Remember Waukesha? The parade victims a week ago Sunday? The largest children's hospital in Wisconsin, folks. They're barely able to take care of patients that were injured in that Waukesha Christmas parade attack on November 21st. And the reason they're having the problem, staffing shortages from its COVID-19 vaccine mandate. 18 kids were brought to the Children's Wisconsin-Milwaukee Hospital, had injuries, most of them serious injuries, suffered when that driver plowed that SUV into parade goers that Sunday afternoon. Several are in critical or serious condition. One eight-year-old boy died of his injuries last Tuesday. As of yesterday morning, the hospital was still treating seven victims. 
and they don't have staffing to take care of these 18 kids that came there. We don't know how this is in long term, how it's going to how it's going to affect and impact, but let me tell you. Here's how it generally happens when something on a large scale like this is initiated. It may take a while, but it's not the immediate reactions that are the bad ones. It's just like throwing that rock in the water. You see the ripples going out in big circles, way, 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 way out there. None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. If you do, like Biden is trying to do through OSHA and trying to do through the federal government a health care mandate, if you do that, it's going to impact the first level, no question about it but it's going to impact the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth level. Unemployment's going to go through the roof. Healthcare, our ratings in healthcare, which are based upon the results that healthcare professionals give to the American people, is going to go down, down, and down. Who's going to pay the price for that? Not our government. They get the best healthcare that's available on earth. Who's going to get it? hit the hardest. Do you want me to tell you who it is? The poor and the indigent in the United States. This is all coming from the guy at the top that says he is the champion of all minority people, all economically disadvantaged people, whether you're a citizen or not, but you're in the United States. Joe Biden is your guy. But you know what? If health care continues to decline like it is right now today. Healthcare in the United States isn't anything like it was two years ago because of these egregious lockdown um, policies that are being shoved down the throats of healthcare professionals by the Biden administration. It's way worse than it was back then and it's only going to get worse. And so even if you cut it off now, even if the courts say you cannot mandate vaccines on people in in the United States, you just can't do it legally. And it stops. Hundreds of thousands have already lost their jobs. Others that haven't been fired or put on leave, they're getting out voluntarily because they don't want to get vaccinated. So they're looking for another job. They're, in many cases, leaving health care. So we're losing people because of a political mandate that has nothing to do with the science. And of course, what is realistic, what is right, and what is helpful in healthcare, it's 100% at the behest of the COVID God, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I'm sure you've heard of what Fauci did on Sunday, one of the talk shows, in an interview about his back and forth with Senators Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, who have continually been all over Anthony Fauci in uh, Senate hearings. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, you're going to hear Fauci himself, Dr. Fauci. He's the guy that has all the facts, folks. He has from the very beginning. I mean, he told us up front, You know, all you got to do, stay inside for a little while. Two weeks, maybe three weeks. Just give us a little bit of time. Stay away from close proximity to others. And yeah, your place of employment is going to lose some money. You're going to lose some pay. 
just for two or three weeks, but we'll be on the other side of this. That was probably the first lie he told us. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. It was really bad Sunday. He's up next. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. So Fauci is the guy, and if you don't think he's the COVID guy or the God, whatever you want to call him, just ask him. He'll let you know real quickly. Well, in just a moment, I'm going to tell you exactly why OSHA has no legal power to enforce this vaccine mandate. I'm going to tell you that in advance of letting uh, Dr. Fauci weigh in and tell you who really does have the power and the authority. And here we're going to give you a little conversation between Pete Hegseth of Fox News, Senator Rand Paul, and in the midst of this, Dr. Anthony Fauci drops his wisdom and the proof that he is the guy. Listen closely to this back and forth. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. He represents science. I have a feeling he might be talking about you, Senator. (laughs) You know, when a government bureaucrat has the audacity, the arrogance to say they represent all of science, we should be running the other way. It conjures up images of the medieval church, you know, in their repression of science. Science has nothing to do with having obedience to any kind of government dogma. And you have to realize that most of what Fauci talks about isn't science. He's not talking about a study on this or a study of that. He's talking about wear a mask. Well, when you talk about the peer-reviewed studies of masks, there was one done in Denmark, showed that it didn't work. 
work. When you look at all of Sweden, 1.8 million children have not been wearing masks for the last two years. They've had zero COVID deaths. And you say, well, have the teachers been infected? Well, it turns out the teachers are infected at the same rate as the rest of the public. Hmm. So they've, they, they've had no masks for a year, year and a half, and it has worked, and that's a whole country. And there's no real discussion of this because if you question him, and really that's public policy, that's not science, it's public policy backed by some science, but if you question him, oh, somehow you are questioning science because he represents all science, that is incredibly arrogant. You know what? When I was a kid, I was not a fighter. I really wasn't. And we had bullies all around us. You grew up in, I mean, I don't care where you grew up, but there were always people that were taking advantage of others, the brutal ones, the ones that would just beat your brains out if you didn't agree with them or did something that they didn't agree with. And I can tell you this. When I grew up, there were lots of guys like Anthony Fauci that hung around. And to make it worse for guys like him, he's a little bitty guy. So that made it even worse. Bullies saw him as an easy mark, so they never hesitated to just beat the snot out of people like that. Unfortunately, Anthony Fauci, he feels no pressure on him to take accountability for all the crap that he shoved down the throats of Americans that have been lies. I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it. Lie after lie after lie. Gross misrepresentation. And every one of them, I think, have been purposeful. And even if they weren't purposeful, folks, a real professional, a real researcher, immunologist, epidemiologist, virologist, would never give us anything as being facts unless they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was facts that they were giving us. That doesn't describe Anthony Fauci or his methodology. And I think what you just heard, him take unilateral authority to make the statement, I represent science. He represents science. In other words, if you want to know something in science, he's the guy you go to because he knows it all. He represents science. So back to OSHA, back to vaccine mandates, which Anthony Fauci is totally all in for. I mean, he wants across-the-board mandates from the United States government for every American, period. No medicine, no science on which to base it. But I told you months ago, when they started this mess, that's where they are headed. And some European countries are already there. So about this OSHA mandate, the U.S. Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit, we told you about, they stayed that mandate. And uh, then the Biden folks came back and said, no, 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 employers, you keep doing it. And then the Fifth Circuit came back out and said, hey, you better pay attention. We said don't enforce it, and that means don't enforcement. So OSHA made a formal announcement saying they're not going to. Their announcement is less helpful to employers than it might seem because OSHA could ask the circuit to vacate the stay of the Fifth Circuit. Plus, if the mandate is upheld, OSHA could immediately begin enforcement proceedings against anybody that were not in compliance. What OSHA is going to do in either case 
We don't know. Yet one thing is perfectly clear. OSHA does not have legal authority to force a COVID-19 vaccine on Americans who don't want it. It's a small wonder that more than half the states are suing to stop Biden's vaccine mandate. Half the states. Start by understanding the playing field in which this came up. First, federal agencies have only the authority that Congress has granted them by statute. In other words, OSHA should, if they're going to do this, there should be a legislative statute passed by Congress, folks, that says they have the power to do it. Agencies cannot vest themselves with additional power and issue rules. OSHA does not have that authority. Second, agencies can't undertake unauthorized action even in an emergency. Where did this come from? Well, the Supreme Court explained it last summer. Quote, our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully even in pursuit of desirable ends, which includes combating the spread of COVID-19 Delta variant. And oh, by the way, now the Omicron, the new one. And then third, vaccinations are materially different from personal protective equipment, like goggles, gloves, or masks. That's called PPE. PPE offers a protective external shield to fend off harmful substances, preventing them from piercing the human skin, a shell that can be shed at the end of the workday. In contrast, vaccinations are not something we wear. There's something that is injected into our bodies, and it's for a quote-unquote good cause to spur our immune systems to generate antibody responses to COVID-19 and other pathogens. T-cells cannot be tossed into the trash at 5 o'clock. Fourth, Congress limits each agency's authority in order to focus its responsibilities. There's no Department of making life better without leaving anyone behind. (laughs) Just as only physicians can diagnose disease, prescribe medicine, perform surgery, healthcare agencies can only make medical decisions that Congress votes and wants made and which are constitutionally authorized. There's a daisy chain that's been broken. It's not in the Constitution. There is nothing in the Constitution establishing OSHA. There's no authority given to any federal agency in the Constitution that allows forced vaccinations. Here's a fifth one. Congress has trusted the FDA and the CDC to regulate vaccines, yet neither agency may order the public to be vaccinated. If so, why would Congress have granted OSHA that power? If your answer is, I can't imagine why, you're on the right track. Now turn to the text of the OSHA Healthcare Act. It directs the Labor Secretary to protect employees against, quote, toxic materials or harmful physical agents. Now the Act doesn't define the terms. So traditional principles of statutory interpretation require any reader to consult the dictionary for their meaning. So we did. Toxic generally refers to poisons like arsenic, while harmful physical agents 
generally does not include bacteria, which are living pathogens or viruses, which might or might not be living organisms, but certainly can reproduce, unlike arsenic. In addition, pathogens like SARS-CoV-2 are communicable. They spread from person to person, while toxins like arsenic do not. So there's a, a legal definition difference between this system. Additionally, a hazardous waste is a dangerous physical agent because it is, for example, flammable, explosive, not because it replicates inside us. Viruses do, but they neither burn nor explode. The term toxic appears elsewhere in the OSHA Act. The government must prepare a report listing all toxic substances and industrial usage. Viruses like COVID-19, however, are hardly in industrial usage. Accordingly, the most natural reading of the OSHA Act does not include SARS-CoV-2 as toxic or a harmful physical agent. That's what they're authorized to do, nothing else. Now consider how this act fits into the framework of the federal laws that directly address viruses. The FDA directs to decide whether a vaccine is safe and effective for its intended use, while the Public Health Service Act empowers a CDC director to quarantine infected parties to prevent an epidemic from erupting or cabin its spread. Neither law empowers the government to require anybody to be vaccinated or gives either agency with that decision-making power. It's not in law, and that's pretty important. If Congress wanted a federal agency to have that power, Congress would surely have granted it to the FDA or the CDC, not to OSHA, which Congress designed to address workplace hazards, not epidemics, and empowered to require employees to wear safety equipment, not get vaccines. Congress has always treated that issue as a responsibility for our medical professionals. The Biologics Control Act of 1902, that far back, folks, more than a century ago, designated the Surgeon's General of the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps as a board to issue rules governing the issuance and the revocation of licenses by the Treasury Secretary. Congress transferred that decision-making authority from one group of medical personnel to another in the FDCA. Congress did not grant OSHA the same responsibility of the OSHA Act. They didn't do it, folks. They have no authority to make or enforce these vaccine mandates. Now, just imagine, go back up, let's go back up to the 10,000-foot level. Look down. I can tell you, at this particular point, I'm going to say it's 80-20 that all vaccine mandates are going to be found to be unconstitutional. But you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And listen closely. The Biden administration, they knew it when they put this out. They knew it was going to come down and be determined by the courts, the Supreme Court finally, to be unconstitutional. But what they wanted to happen 
is all of this would be so far out of the genie bottle, there would be no way to put it back in. And so far, they've been successful in that thought process. Millions more of Americans, when all this began, they were told, hey, you're going to be mandated to get vaccinated. I've gotten call after call, email after email, text after text from people that are working at places that are requiring mandatory vaccines. And they're saying, what should I do? And I know of numerous people in the healthcare field that have just bailed. Many have decided, well, I want to keep my job. The only way I'm going to keep my job is I'm going to go ahead and get vaccinated. Even though those are the people that know there's something not right about these vaccines. We haven't found it yet, or if they found it, they're not telling us, I'm not going to get it, I'm going to wait. And then Uncle Sam, Joe Biden, he decides to unconstitutionally force people, you want to work? Get vaccinated. And those people go ahead and do it. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. In many cases, you won't be able to get those jobs back. In many cases, you're not going to be able to go find other jobs. There are going to be people that don't want to talk to you in the healthcare field because they question your decision-making process because of what you did regarding the vaccines. I mean, it's a dangerous cycle. And this president has forced tens of millions of Americans to make the decision and make, in many cases, life-changing decisions for political purposes only saying they're doing it in the name of medicine. Right here in our town, we're not a big town. I was told a story yesterday of a father that went and got a vaccine. Picture of health. No pre-existing conditions. Immediately started having serious problems and 30 days later died. His death certificate says adverse reaction to COVID-19 vaccine. That's just one. We tell you every week we give you the updated VARS report, which is the CDC published account of how many people in the previous week had adverse reactions that are labeled and targeted and are direct results of vaccinations. The latest numbers, now remember this comes from the CDC, they're not real forthcoming with factual information that makes anything they support look bad. Right at 19,000 people have died since January, 95,000 hospitalizations, 100,000 urgent care treatments, 140,000 doctor office visits, 8,000 cases of anaphylaxis, 12,000 cases of Bell's palsy, 3,000 miscarriages, 10,000 heart attacks, 13,000 myocarditis, pericarditis cases, 30,000 Americans permanently disabled. But these vaccines are safe. Oh, you're going to have a adverse reaction here and there. We always do. Folks, the total number of deaths from all vaccines for everything, polio, 
diphtheria, measles, mumps, all of those that we all got. The total number of deaths from adverse reactions from 1991 to January 1st of this year was a little over 1,900 total in 30 years. Since January 1st this year, 18,853 people, it's been reported, have died as a direct result of an adverse reaction or two or three or four from COVID-19 vaccines. That's what they are trying to force that we put in our bodies. Yeah, maybe there's some good there. But let me ask you this. What's the wisdom? If you, in the United States, if you rolled in every person that was alive on January 1st this year, every person, roll them in, don't care what their age is, don't care what, uh, care what their ethnicity is, their nation of origin, what color their skin is, or even their pre-existing conditions, roll them all in. There's less than a 1.5% chance if you don't get any type of vaccine less than one and a half percent chance. And if you break down the demographics, in many cases, it's less than a tenth of one percent. You're going to die without a vaccination from COVID-19. And they're forcing Americans to take the vaccines, even with those numbers hanging out there. What's going on? That's the question I really want to get answered. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science, it's mycomputercareer.edu. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle, it's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. The view from the top is reserved for the bold. And the bold tell the truth. Truthnewsnet.org. Well, in the middle of the news I just gave you, we learned that the city of Los Angeles has begun enforcing its vaccine mandate on indoor businesses yesterday, and that includes gyms, 
restaurants, other facilities, inspectors are able to impose thousands of dollars in fines over time. The law went into effect November 8th, but beginning yesterday, the Department of Building and Safety can issue administrative citations. That's a nice word for tickets to businesses that violate the ordinance. Citation includes a $1,000 fine for a second violation, $2,000 for a third, $5,000 for a fourth, and even after that. The city's Safe Pass LA ordinance is one of the strictest mandates of its kind in the nation. It requires people over 12 to show proof of vaccination at several indoor public spaces. People can be exempted if they have medical conditions that restrict their ability to get vaccinated or a, quote, sincerely held religious belief. Can you imagine trying to prove that? Well, how serious are you? (laughs) You either believe something or you don't. These exemptions will have to be reviewed by the location the person is trying to enter. Now, Los Angeles County has its own vaccine requirement, which is less strict, went into effect November the 4th. And then there's this, have you heard this discussion back and forth about natural immunity? Well, people who have recovered from COVID are at little risk of contracting the disease again, according to a study that was published in the last few days. This is interesting. Didn't happen from researchers. It didn't happen on Tony Fauci's watch here in the United States. It happened in Qatar. Researchers there looked at a cohort of over 353,000 people using national databases that contain info about patients with polymerase chain reaction confirmed infections. The studied population contracted COVID-19, the disease caused by the Chinese communist virus between February 28th this year and April 28th. Reinfections were counted if a person tested positive at least 90 days after they were first infected. They excluded about 88,000 people with a vaccination record. Researchers found that those with immunity due to having recovered from the virus had very little risk of reinfection or severe cases of the disease, even if they were reinfected. Just 1,300 reinfections were identified. That means 0.4% of people with natural immunity and without a vaccination record got COVID-19 a second time. Think about that. That's four-tenths of one percent. So that means out of every 100 people, less than half of one person (laughs) would get reinfected. The odds of severe disease of all kinds were 0.1 times that of primary infection. No cases of death were recorded among those who got infected a second time. It's already been published, this report in the New England Journal of Medicine. I've heard nobody talk about it. It was funded by Weill Cornell Medicine, Cutter, Cutter's Ministry of Public Health, the Hamad Medical Corporation, and Sidra Medicine. Now, what are those names of everybody that was involved in it? What do they tell you? It didn't happen on Fauci's watch. It wasn't done at the CDC or the FDA or the NIAID, which is of the National Institutes of Health, is Fauci's entity. It came from overseas. 
the researchers had previously assessed the effectiveness of natural immunity against reinfection as being 85% or greater. Quote, Accordingly, for a person who has already had a primary infection, the risk of having a severe reinfection is only approximately 1% of the risk of a previously uninfected person having a severe primary infection. It needs to be determined whether such protection against severe disease at reinfection lasts for a longer period, analogous to the immunity that develops against other seasonal like common cold coronaviruses, which are short-term, show short-term immunity against mild reinfection, but longer-term immunity against more serious reinfections. If this were the case with SARS-CoV-2, the virus, or at least the variant studied to date, should adopt a more benign pattern of infection when it becomes endemic. Important studies showing how rare reinfection in COVID severe diseases is after recovered COVID, that's from Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease doctor at the University of California, San Francisco. She said the study adds to the growing body of research that shows people who have recovered from COVID enjoy high levels of immunity against reinfection, even higher against severe disease and death. The best vaccination for COVID-19 is to get COVID-19 and recover. I'm not a doctor. I'm just looking at data, listening, reading the same stories that you do, and coming up with that conclusion. I'm not suggesting anybody go purposely get infected with covid But what I am saying is what Mr. Science has been telling us since, oh my gosh, early in 2020, almost totally is not truthful. But he represents science. If you don't believe him, just sit down and shut up. You don't have that option. And then Biden's back at being Joe Biden. Who's surprised by that? As you know, he put a travel ban over the weekend on several of those African countries in the wake of that new strain, Omicron. And um, he put a travel ban on five African countries. Can't come to the United States. A travel ban. How evil are travel bans? on people from nations, and those people are nations of color. Well, there's two things that go with that. Somebody that would put that kind of travel ban on certainly is a racist and also a xenophobe. Now, who decides that? Who can say a travel ban is racist and xenophobic? Well, guess who said it? Joe Biden said it. Remember this? In 2017, Trump imposed travel restrictions on six predominantly Muslim countries over concerns of improper vetting. People coming to the U.S. from other countries must be vetted to make sure there is no uh, garbage in their past. The media folks often referred to it as the Muslim ban. It wasn't a Muslim ban at all. There were tons of more countries that weren't banned that are Muslim. (laughs) But it just made a good story for mainstream media. 
when COVID started spreading throughout the world at the beginning of last year, Trump blocked travel from China and six other countries that included Eritrea, I can't even say it, K-Y-R-G-Y-Z-S-T-A-N, Myanmar, Nigeria, Sudan, and Tanzania. He was a presidential candidate, remember this, at this time. He suggested that Trump and his bands were xenophobic. Quote, we're in the midst of a crisis with the coronavirus, he tweeted the day after Trump did his China COVID ban. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. He's the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. He also referred to Trump's temporary ban on African countries as disgraceful. But now, Joe's the POTUS. And he's going right down that same road that Donald Trump went down. The first cases of the Omicron variant are expected to have originated in South Africa. Biden announced on Friday the U.S. would restrict travel from South Africa and seven other countries. Botswana, Zimbabwe, Nambia, Lesotho, Eswantini, Mozambique, and Malawi. And the ban was initiated to start yesterday. At the time of his announcement, the media had a meltdown. Not of Biden's, remember? I'm talking about Trump's travel ban announcement. The media went nuts. They suggested it was racist. But this week's headlines, when Joe announced his, suggested that mainstream media is much more understanding of Biden's travel bans. Juxtaposed CNN pieces on the dueling travel ban showed that the network was much kinder to Biden than they were to Trump. Gabe Kaminsky of CNN. Xenophobia to CNN depends on the ruling regime. When Trump did it, it said, Trump's latest travel ban is an attack on Africans. When Biden did it, U.S. imposes travel restrictions as new variant spreads. The New York Times opinion page ran a piece that was titled, quote, The Racism at the Heart of Trump's Travel Ban. That was in February of last year. But this week, the newspaper ran a little bit of a tamer title, quote, United States Will Bar Travelers from Eight Countries. Joe Concha, I like Joe. He's sometimes a uh, Fox News contributor. He tried to put his finger on why the press is okay with Biden's ban. Quote, because Joe Biden's ban comes from good, decent place in an effort to save lives, while Trump just did it as an excuse to ban people from coming here. As utterly sophomoric and ridiculous as those arguments are in applying motive, there are actually enough viewers and readers out there willing to believe it. Biden is replicating exactly what he himself called racist, unfiltered host Dan Bongino said, on Saturday, while sounding off on the media hypocrisy. Vernon Jones, you remember him? He's a gubernatorial candidate in Georgia. He also wondered where the outraged headlines were. 
Trump imposed a travel ban from African countries, Jones said. He was called xenophobic and a racist by Joe Biden. Liberal Democrats and media then sued. Joe Biden imposed a travel ban from eight African countries. No one has called him xenophobic, a racist, or has sued him. Legacy media folks, they never disappoint us. You know exactly how they're going to respond in every case. It's it's funny to sit back and watch when uh, any conservative cause comes to the floor of the Congress or is even floated as a possible idea. Oh, it's immediately. Forget about its merits. Don't even talk about its merits. Just because it comes from a conservative, whether it's a, a Republican or even a conservative Democrat, if there is one or two, they call those moderates. But nevertheless, if it doesn't go along with the hardcore policies that are desired and have been implemented from those on the left, it's automatically the, the go-to word, xenophobic, racist, oppressive, un-American, fascist. I mean, you come up with any of the names, everything any conservative says, every piece of legislation that is even floated as something that could be possible and we should consider, no, 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 no. It's automatically impossible that we could ever agree to that. Aren't we Americans so blind that we can't see this? This is something I keep asking myself. When I hear people, people that I know, friends even, that look and listen to this stuff and they're okay with it. They just accept it. And I think in many cases, they're accepting it simply because they're doing it just because they just don't want to get into a fight. They don't want to get into an argument. And, you know, these are good people that are saying this and they may know something that I don't know, so I'm not going to jump on them. I mean, literally, folks, that's what's happening. Now, going back to the mandate stuff, you know, the mandate and even the threat of the mandate has really impacted our economy. And you know what else has? At the same time, the vaccine mandates have just made our supply chain woes even grow exponentially because if you if you talk about vaccine, vaccine mandates, you know that most truckers around the nation are represented by a union and the unions, in large, are fighting against the mandatory vaccine for their labor members, including folks, truckers. So just think what would happen as bad as it's been during and after the lockdown, the total lockdown. Just imagine what our supply chain would look like if this vaccine mandate Biden handed it to OSHA and told them to roll it out if it should end up standing. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he went to the podium yesterday and he addressed it. And as you can imagine, now there's the Port of Miami, the Port of Fort Lauderdale, big ports, lots of stuff comes there. But folks, it can't travel off a boat directly to your house. That stuff has to be distributed across the country. you got it going on in L.A. You've got it going on in Seattle. You have a really good port in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, and then up the East Coast, multiple seaports there. That stuff comes in, 
even if it's going to go out by rail, in many cases, it has to be put on trucks at the ports and transported to the rail hubs to be distributed. It's a daisy chain. Nothing happens in a vacuum. It happens initially and impacts who it happens to on the spot, but then down the line, it's just a daisy chain of everybody getting intact, uh, impacted by it. Florida's Governor DeSantis had a lot to say about it yesterday. Yeah, these, it's a great point with, with these truckers. Had we not fought the Biden mandate and done what we've done in Florida to protect people, I mean, if you have just 1% of these guys that would get thrown out of job, that would absolutely be devastating to uh, our, our supply chain. A lot of the problems we're seeing would be exacerbated hugely. And so left to their own devices, what Biden was trying to do would have absolutely crippled uh, the supply chain further. I can tell you uh, with the lawsuit that's pending in the Sixth Circuit, uh, there's an injunction. It stayed. There should be nobody in Florida that is following this. Uh, it certainly is not applicable. And I can tell you, I don't think it's ever going to apply. I think the Sixth Circuit is going gonna, is gonna to slam dunk this thing into the trash bin, and it's going to be done. So it's never going to go into effect, and I think people should, should be very confident that that's the case. I don't know, like, you know, little blips along the way, kind of how the legal ping pong, but at the end of the day, uh, it's not going to survive scrutiny uh, before the full 11th Circuit or in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's a good thing because you would have a lot of people that are not, first of all, I mean, I care about them and being able to earn an income and provide for their family more than anything. But their role in our economy is so critical. And to let to, to throw a lot of those people out of work, they already have massive shortages in terms of needing more people that could operate these commercial vehicles. We put a lot of money just recently uh, into more programs in Florida so we can give people the skills and they can make good money right away. But, man, it would have been really, really devastating. So we're glad we stood up uh, to fight back. If you pull back up at the 10,000-foot level and you look at this stuff that results in having to have these kind of press conferences to even discuss what you might have to do to counter what is being done at the national level by those people in Washington who we elect to represent us, it's a conundrum that there's no explanation for. Why could so much power be centered on the Potomac Valley in the upper, the lower northeast of the United States and people there feel insulated from doing what they must do according to the U.S. Constitution, which is adhere to the rule of law. And the rule of law is not set by um, a presidential order coming out of the White House. The Oval Office is not the center of legislation. There's something wrong with the thinking. Do you know how many times during Donald Trump's four years, even before that in his campaign. Do you ha- you know how many times people on the left pointed at Donald Trump and called him a Hitler wannabe, a fascist, a dictator? He was authoritarian. They actually said that while he was in the White House. He's an authoritarian. Do you know what an authoritarian is? Folks, look at Joe Biden. Look at what he's doing now unilaterally in Washington, decree after degree, executive order after executive order, mandate after mandate, 
These are the ones that we're hearing about and we're talking about. There are dozens more that are kind of tucked away. We don't hear about them until they've already been implemented and the wrongdoing's underway. Once again, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Joe Biden is the picture-perfect example of what in the West, in other words, not in Asia, not in the Middle East, but in the West, an authoritarian in office, that's what it looks like. Joe Biden is the picture of authoritarian rule. Even the stuff that he has accomplished, but even more so, the stuff that he has thrown out there and it's being tested in the court systems, and it's being pushed back again and again and again. The only difference is he doesn't have the power yet to make these arbitrary decisions and enforce them after they're made. But folks, Democrats, others on the far left, they are desperate to snatch that power away from the U.S. Constitution and the American people and do it themselves. Solely. No authority. That's authoritarianism. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm -mm. How about China? Mm. Germany? Mm. How about people from the North Pole? Mm. Or Mars. What about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Colossal Ore. We are the leading producer of minerals, ore, and natural resources, which means you're benefiting from our services whether you know us or not. No matter what our critics say, at Colossal, we care about our employees, as well as our customers, which is why we work so hard to get our miners back in the mines where they feel at home. Together, we can reunite minerals with the people who love them. Colossal Ore. More than ore. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. authoritarian rule, speaking of a dictator wannabe, you can't mention that without mentioning former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Come to think of it, his little brother at CNN, um, Chris Cuomo, the pair could make a real good authoritarian group in pretty much anything they got involved in, 
if they could seize the power to do it. Well, I thought we were done with Andrew Cuomo. Apparently we're not. CNN was forced to issue a statement in the middle of a real damning revolution that star anchor Chris Cuomo and his unprecedented involvement in his brother's inner circle as the now-ousted governor of New York is engulfed in scandal. Newly released testimony from the New York Attorney General's investigation into Andrew Cuomo shows that the Cuomo primetime host at CNN, little brother Chris, heavily worked with the Democrats' inner circle to combat the sexual misconduct allegations against him, even relying on sources in the media on the reporting that was being done on the governor's accusers. You just can't make this stuff up, folks. It was going on, and it is going on. Here are some of the facts. This morning, new evidence revealed from the investigation that forced New York Governor Andrew Cuomo out of office, including documents and depositions from Cuomo, his team, and the women who accused him of sexual misconduct. He definitely was making it known that he was single and ready to mingle. Brittany Camisso is one of Cuomo's 11 accusers. She told investigators his hugs were unwelcome. I remember his hand just sliding right up my blouse. And I remember looking down and I remember seeing his hand, which is, I would say, a, a large hand and uh, over the, my bra. Throughout his nearly 12-hour interview with investigators, Cuomo maintained his innocence. It would be an act of insanity to touch a woman's breast and make myself vulnerable to a woman uh, for such an accusation. Can you ever hear me saying, somebody says to me, you're going to get us into trouble. I don't care. On Monday, the New York Attorney General released the information, Cuomo's attorney calling the move manipulated, claiming there was selective editing and redactions. The documents also reveal Cuomo's brother, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo, offered to use his media sources to find out if more women were coming forward. In March, a top aide to then-Governor Cuomo texted Chris Cuomo, quote, rumor going around from Politico, one to two more people coming out tomorrow. Can you check your sources? Four minutes later, Cuomo responded, on it. Chris Cuomo previously acknowledged it was a mistake to act as his brother's unofficial advisor. CNN Monday said the newly revealed documents, quote, deserve a thorough review. On a show last night, Cuomo did not address the evidence, instead beginning with this message. And I hope Thanksgiving was a reminder for everybody of the good people and the good things in your life. Lord knows we could use the help, right? The former governor is due in court in January on a misdemeanor charge of forcible touching. The love gov. And his little brother, (laughs) they're at at center of controversy again. And it's all about one guy that has a lot of power. There's a lot of similarity between Andrew Cuomo, ousted as governor, and Joe Biden, who hadn't been ousted from anything. But both guys sat atop of the heap in their respective political entities. Cuomo, the state of New York, Biden over you and I, the entire United States. And the sense of power that that position on its own gives to you, 
Folks, people go nuts to get to that spot. I mean, that's the big draw for serving in Washington, D.C., in either Congress or in the White House, or even being attached in some way to the massive bureaucracy that is Washington, D.C. Comes with a lot of opportunity and a lot of power, and a lot of power which can be used in a bad way to do bad things. And many of those people choose to do the bad things instead. So after hours, after the revelations went viral and caused an uproar among critics across the media landscape, CNN offered a tepid response to the growing scandal. The thousands of pages of additional transcripts and exhibits that were released today by the New York Attorney General deserves a thorough review and consideration. We will be having conversations and seeking additional clarity about their significance as they relate to CNN over the next several days. Cuomo, if you'll remember, he previously addressed the controversies that plagued his brother, but he downplayed his role in aiding the New York governor. This is what he said before. I was there to listen and offer my take and my advice to my brother. It was simple and consistent. Own what you did. Tell people what you'll do to do better. Be contrite. And finally, accept that it doesn't matter what you intended. What matters is how your actions and words were perceived. Now, that's what Chris Cuomo told his viewers back in August following his brother's announcement that he was going to resign. Chris continued, There are critics saying things about me, many unsupported, but know this, my position has never changed. I never misled anyone about the information I was delivering or not delivering on this program. I never attacked nor encouraged anyone to attack any woman who came forward. I never made calls to the press about my brother's situation. I never influenced or attempted to control CNN's coverage of my family. So Cuomo, Chris, has been long criticized for hosting nearly a dozen chummy interviews with his brother in the early months of this coronavirus pandemic as the Democrat was widely adored by the media but avoided covering the scandals as they emerged. A lot of people... They would wait breathlessly to watch Chris Cuomo's show at night to see what he had to say about the latest revelation of his brother, you know, the love gov, and they just didn't happen. The new revelations from the Attorney General in New York are fueling calls for Chris Cuomo to get canned. If this story is accurate, it describes a series of shocking ethical breaches, fireable offenses at any other news outlet. Now, that's coming from a not-so-conservative outlet, Rolling Stone, the editor-in-chief, Noah Schmottman. Just to be clear, if anyone else on CNN's roster did this, they'd not only be fired but blacklisted from journalism, period. That's from MSNBC columnist Eric Michael Garcia. It's hard to imagine any news executive keeping Chris Cuomo on staff after those revelations, Then again, as CNN likes to say, this is CNN. That's from Columbia Journalism School professor Bill Gruskin. Cuomo himself, by the way, was accused of sexual harassment by veteran TV news producer Shelley Ross, who came forward earlier this year 
alleging that he grabbed her buttock at a 2005 function when the two of them worked at ABC News. Quid pro quo. (laughs) You think Chris is going to lose his gig? Folks, CNN has hardly anybody that works there that's worth watching. That's why hardly anybody watches CNN. Less than a million a night. I'm not talking about one show. I'm talking about a night. Do you know that we here at Truth News Network, stories we publish here, a number of times we've had more than a million viewers of our stories. Last week, the story that we published a week ago yesterday had two and a half million readers. And CNN, a national network, a powerhouse, they struggled to get a million sets of eyeballs to watch their entire evening lineup on a normal weekday. That's scary, but that what that does, it shows that Americans are getting it. More Americans are getting it. I think as Donald Trump took office and all of the horrors began to be revealed about the Russia collusion, the incessant and constant attacks on Donald Trump, the lies, the gross misrepresentations, things that were said that weren't even remotely attached to the truth began to be exposed again and again and again. More people are turning away from those far-left networks, and they're struggling worse than they were before to find ratings so that they can support their operations. But you got to remember, why does CNN stay out there for so long? Why do they exist even today? Because they're losing their butts in dollars and cents. It's because they're owned by AT&T. And you probably know this without me uh, telling you about it, but AT&T has a few bucks in the wallet. (laughs) They can afford to lose some money. A report came out late yesterday, and it, it, it really hit a chord with me. We're hearing this constant diatribe from the left about climate change and how it looks in our energy sector. Joe Biden almost single-handedly has destroyed our fossil fuel industry. He's doing his best to get it done. And in the wake of all of that, we are being told we're going to get away with carbon-fueled cars. We're going electric. We're going electric. Well, the Democrat-led House has passed billions of dollars for electric vehicles. They're called the EVs. And in doing this, guess what happened yesterday? Consumer Reports came out and did an analysis of every electric vehicle that's in the marketplace to find out how reliable they are. Now, that makes sense. Of all the cars and their reliability, I think you probably will guess that Consumer Reports, their 2021 auto reliability report, ranks gasoline and gas hybrid vehicles far higher than any EVs or electric vehicles. Tesla, which manufactures only fully electric vehicles, ranked dead last in the list, right next to Lincoln. According to CNBC Consumer Reports, surveyed owners of more than 300,000 vehicles from model years 2000 
to 2021. And they used that data to make predictions about 269 different 2022 model year vehicles. According to Consumer Reports, fully electric SUVs are among the least reliable vehicles. We're not talking about efficiency. We're talking about reliability. You know, you get in the car, you hit the button, it fires up and you drive. Keeping it driving, <laughs> that represents reliability. The Audi e-tron and Tesla Model X came in last in their segment for reliability. Now, Consumer Reports no longer recommends electric models from Audi, Kia, and Porsche. High-end electric-powered SUVs are among the least reliable vehicles, but not because of their relatively simple powertrains. Complex electronics are their Achilles heel, at least for now. Biden's Build Back Better Act, passed by the House on November 19th, includes about $33 billion in tax incentives for the purchase of EVs. A $7,500 credit jumps up to $12,500 if an individual purchases a union-made electrical vehicle. I'm going to repeat that. You get a $7,500 credit if you buy an EV, but that credit almost doubles. It goes up to $12,500 if you buy an electric vehicle that's made by a union. And by the way, that is under, it's going to be uh, tested in courts if it passes. I don't think it will, but I'm just pointing that out. The workforces at Toyota and Honda, they're not unionized. Toyota's been trying to gain support among the public to oppose that special union tax break, arguing that it penalizes consumers if you choose to buy an electric vehicle from a non-union automaker. That's kind of the idea in philosophy because Joe Biden is in the pocket of the unions. They by far in total were the biggest contributors to anything and everything to do with Joe Biden. Just thought I'd drop that little number on you. And then there's another crazy thing going around. The growing transgenderization of American kids. Folks, it's unscientific, it's unsupervised, and it's out of control. And this is not according to Dan Newman. This is according to an op-ed published Sunday in the Washington Post. The treatment pushed by activists, recommended by some providers and taught in many training workshops, is to affirm teenagers' claims of transgender identity without any question. That's said in that op-ed by two loud advocates of the transgender ideology, psychologist Laura Edwards-Leeper and Erica Anderson, who says she is transgender. We may be harming some of the young people we strive to support, people who may not be prepared for the gender transitions they are being rushed into. That is part of the two-author written story. The article was given a very prominent position, three-quarters of the front page in the Washington Post prestigious Outlook section on Sunday. The top-level support for the article suggests the Post editors are alarmed at the growing damage from transgenderism, even as they also publish a flood of relentlessly pro-transgender articles in other parts of the newspaper. 
this damage. It's been carefully covered by Breitbart News, one conservative news outlet, for at least five years. On November 27th, for example, Breitbart reported Swedish transgender doctors caused serious injuries to many kids. It's chemical castration. It can affect mental health in a way you didn't think and you didn't want. That coverage has helped ordinary Americans debate the issue and to pass laws in state legislatures that protect K-12 kids from transgenderism in school sports. But, always, elitist progressives in the media and activist groups in our universities have suppressed the science, the medical and political debate because of their contempt for ordinary Americans. The post-surprising approval of the critical op-ed by two pro-transgender activists may also allow progressives to admit the damage being caused to their own kids. These two shrinks, they wrote this, the constituency of agitated parents who feel excluded is also growing rapidly. These are not conservative evangelicals who don't believe trans people exist or deserve special treatment. They're usually progressive, educated, loving people who all say, if our kid is really trans, we'll fully support them. We just want to be as sure as possible, and we can't find a provider who will actually engage in gender-exploring therapy. Instead, doctors and psychologists and social workers are ready to start home hormones after one short visit. Many kids who claim transgender status are seeking a sexless refuge from the shock of puberty, from porn-twisted teenage attitudes, and from the progressives' reckless destruction of the civic rules that once protected kids from pressure for early sexual activity. Also, many of the kids who are pulled into lifetime cycles of transgender medical treatments are sexual minorities who would otherwise grow up to be lesbian or gay. But the two authors are only trying to rein in professional abuses that threaten their business and advocacy not to argue against transgender demands. Listen to this bit that these two authors posted in their op-ed. Slowing down the rush by some young people to hormone use and cosmetic surgery and encouraging deeper, thoughtful exploration is considered, many pro-transgender professionals tell us, unnecessary and unaffirming. Providers may also be afraid of being cast as transphobic bigots by their local colleagues and referral sources if they engage in gender-exploring therapy with patients, as some have equated this with conversion therapy. We've personally experienced this backlash at professional conferences. So what they're saying, the reason I wanted to bring you this story, obviously the horror of it is, is what transgenderism and the pull and the pressure it places on young kids, it's growing, it's become epidemic as a matter of fact, and it's really hurting our kids. That's the obvious, but I wanted to illustrate something. Within the transgender elitist, there is actually bigotism if people don't, even transgender people, don't do it and handle it the right way according to these elitists, you're not worthy. And it's tearing that community apart because they're not just letting 
people find out on their own, giving them choices, educating people, and then backing away. It doesn't work. And that's been one of the cries against transgenderism in that part of our society here in the United States is there is immense pressure put on people who are contemplating or thinking about it, who are asking questions and want answers, but they want the ability to make their decisions based upon the answers they get and how they feel about it. That's no longer acceptable. Basically, and this goes into the progressive mentality from top to bottom, you don't have the ability to discern any of this. So what we tell you, just take it as fact, what we tell you to do, Just keep your mouth shut and go do it. I know that's a tough one to swallow, but it's a fact, folks. It's a fact. It is out there, and we're living and dealing with that today. And our kids, I cannot fathom. My 5-year-old, 6-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, having a conversation about transgenderism, having questions, wanting to get some facts with a teacher, or somebody that is a, uh, I don't know, some in at, at a school, a teacher that specifically kids can go and talk to about their problems. I can't imagine my kid even thinking about doing that or being able to do that without me being in that conversation. There is just something absolutely spooky and unacceptable about that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's back in the saddle. He's actually occasionally getting up and talking to the media. I listened to one of his um, post-speech conversations with the press in the White House. And as usual, he had his list in front of him when he says, I'm going to take some questions. And the reporters in the House start hollering out these questions. And uh, he says, no, 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 no. I got a call on this person. You won't believe this. Listen to how he handles it and listen to the name of the reporter he calls on to ask a question. And I hope you all have, I'll be speaking before them, but a Merry Christmas as we approach it. Uh, questions. Should Americans be worried, sir? Let me call on Nancy Bloomberg. Thank you so much, President Biden. Um, do you think that uh, other countries will be reluctant to um, report variants or other strains given the travel ban that you put so quickly on South Africa? No, I, 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 I don't think so. Did you catch it? They started hollering questions and one guy got the floor and he says, no, 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 no. Let me call on Nancy Bloomberg. Folks, there's nobody in the room named Nancy Bloomberg. There's a reporter named Nancy who works for Bloomberg, that on his list, whoever prepared the list of who he could call on or should call on, Nancy slash or in parentheses Bloomberg, she works for Bloomberg, that's who he was supposed to call on first. But nope, old Joe, he called on Nancy Bloomberg. What's your question? Missing persons. Missing persons. Missing persons. My wife is missing. Your wife is missing. My wife is missing. When did you last see her? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Four o'clock. Where's your TV, sir? The bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh, no. She's probably watching Madlock. Madlock is on at four o'clock? Every weekday at four on Channel 2. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll wait. Okay. 
I'm here. She's watching Matlock. I thought so. I didn't know Matlock was on at four o'clock. Every weekday at four on Channel Two. She really likes Andy Griffith. Of course she does. She must be so engrossed by Matlock she forgot to tell me where she was. Tell her I understand. Okay, I'll be right back. No, I didn't mean no, sir. Matlock every weekday at four on Channel Two. Because there's nothing like a good mystery. I'm hanging up now, sir. Hello? You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Before we get back to our last segment, got a few more really important things I want to chat with you about. But I, th- I thought this was ironic. I, we never talk about sports here at Truth News Network or at TNN Live, not because sports isn't important. Um, I've been in sports, involved in sports very actively and aggressively my entire life. It is important, but it doesn't really fall into normally fall into the area of, of, of news, regular news. But I thought it was interesting yesterday. As you probably know, I'm in Louisiana. I live in Louisiana, from Louisiana, basically. I was born in uh, Pasadena, Texas. But when I was just a baby, we moved to South Louisiana. I've been here pretty much ever since. I've got to be and am an LSU fan. And uh, I'm not what you would consider a rabid LSU fan, but I am an LSU fan. And football's a big deal. Football in the state of Louisiana is a big deal. And I did not go to LSU. I went to Louisiana Tech University. In our family, we have several degrees from Louisiana Tech. I met my wife at Louisiana Tech. If I had gone to Louisiana Tech, I wouldn't have met her. Lots of good things about it, but LSU is the state university. And so as an LSU fan, when Coach O, who was a Louisiana native, when he decided to mutually agree with LSU and not return next season as LSU's head football coach, you know, the big conversation in athletics, I mean, it was, it dominated. Who's going to LSU? Who's going to LSU? So I heard everything. Saturday, a young man that I know well, he's much younger than I am, and he's a sports fan and he's an LSU fan. He went on Facebook and he just announced Lincoln Riley, who was head coach at Oklahoma, on Sunday, two days ago, he was going to be introduced as LSU's new football head coach. And, of course, people on Facebook were saying, where'd you get your information? And he said, it's factual. I know for a fact it is. 
I've got sources, inside sources, and they tell me it's a done deal. They're going to literally introduce him Sunday afternoon as LSU's head coach. So I questioned it for a lot of reasons. Lincoln Riley is a good coach. He has not been really successful the last couple of years at Oklahoma. And um, there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons why a lot of people speculated he was going to leave Oklahoma. And one of them is Oklahoma is coming to the Southeastern Conference. That's the conference which holds schools like LSU, Alabama, Auburn, Arkansas, um, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. And then on the east, you've got Florida and Georgia and South Carolina. It's a great conference. Got Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Um, University of Tennessee. Who did I leave out? I think I got Missouri. I think I look uh, with Arkansas, Texas A&M. I think I got everybody that's in there now. Nevertheless, Oklahoma and Texas are coming to the Southeastern Conference. So the speculation was Lincoln Riley obviously did not come to LSU. He went to the University of Southern California. Uh, In just a moment, we'll talk about who came to LSU. But I was thinking that he was going to come, if he was going to come to LSU, it would be for this one reason. He's going to be in the Southeastern Conference as the Oklahoma head coach, and that means he would be in the SEC West, which includes Alabama, uh, Auburn, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, LSU, and Texas A&M. So in other words, every year he's going to have to play LSU. And year in, year out, folks, LSU's a tough program to beat in football. So he was going to make a decision. Did he want to come play LSU every year, or would it be better for him to come and be the LSU head coach? That was the only justification I could come up with. The coach that I really thought was going to get it was Dave Aranda, who is now the Baylor head coach two years ago, was the defensive coordinator, and uh, he was part of that undefeated national championship season of LSU from two years ago. He got the head job at Baylor, but he loved LSU. Everybody in Baton Rouge loves Aranda. He's doing a great job at Baylor. I thought he would come back. But they announced that it's not going to be any of the people that I really thought we're going to be there. It was a surprise. There is no explanation other than to say it's a surprise. The head coach at the University of Notre Dame is taking the job at LSU. Now, why am I even bringing this up? Let me tell you what. The Notre Dame program, Notre Dame University, is a prestigious place to go to school to get an education, and to play athletically. It's really, really good. They're one of the few major universities where athletics is, just because of athletics, people involved in athletics are elitist. They're way above. They're better than everybody else. They're one of the universities that doesn't take that approach. They're all in for all in for their students. And even in their football program. Now, they're always a perennial power, but they struggle and fight uh, more than members of other conferences, especially more than members of the Southeastern Conference, to be competitive when it comes to a national championship. 
So when their head coach, it hadn't been formally announced yet, but I believe it's supposed to be later today. Uh, my hat goes off to him because he's taking the reins at a university that is one of the perennial football powers and baseball powers in college ranks. And LSU is a good academic school, but I think more importantly now is the athletes that participate in college athletics at that level, they need input from men and women who are of the ilk of the most important part of this entire process is the education these young athletes get. And not just the book learning that they get, but their ability to live in and react while in life and all of its challenges that they're going to face. Just a small fraction of those football players that come out of the LSU program or any other program, a very small fraction are going to end up being athletes professionally at any point in their future. And even if they are, that's not going to last forever. They need to be educated. They need to learn the skills of just being good American people. That should be job one. This coach coming in from Notre Dame, he walks in that circle, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. I just wanted to share that with you. It's important to me. And before we get away, I want to tell you about this. President Biden yesterday, he met with the CEOs of major U.S. retailers, and they held a Cyber Monday roundtable. And the purpose was to talk about the supply chain crisis, which we really have. And that's in the middle of rising prices and growing concern that products are not going to be available during the holiday season. You've probably already seen some of that yourself. Business leaders gathered here today, he said, and they represent a broad swath of American shopping. I want to hear from each of you about what you're seeing this holiday season. How well prepared are you to have products you need on your shelves? How you've innovated and hired to overcome these supply chain challenges? And people, some really heavyweight people were were in that conversation. Best Buy, Samsung, Food Lion, Mattel, CVS Health, Walmart, Kroger, uh, Etsy, the Curate Retail Group. The president remarked that estimates show sales figures from Black Friday and Small Business Saturday were considerably higher than last year and inquired how the federal government could continue partnering with the retailers to keep the shelves stocked so American consumers can get what they need. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan joined the meeting virtually, said that the administration's efforts like extending port hours to ease freight congestion was having a positive impact on the flow of goods. Because of what you all did to help with overnight hours, because of the team's work to reroute to other ports to extend our lead times and have other creative solutions, we've seen an increase in throughput over the last four weeks of about 26% nationally in terms of getting these containers through the ports. Though the traffic at ports seems to be getting better, there still remains long wait times for unloading shipping containers. And according to FactSet, a record number of S&P 500 companies are still using the terms inflation and supply change on their analyst calls. Meg Ham, president of Food Lion, said the company's food supply chain remains robust. There's ample product for customers on our shelves. Others said similar things. 
After the roundtable, Biden was scheduled to deliver remarks on his work to strengthen the nation's supply chain, lower everyday costs for families, and ensure that shelves are well-stocked this holiday season. But at a last minute, there was a change that rescheduled that talk for Wednesday. Nothing negative was even discussed in that teleconference, which kind of um, surprised me because as good as things might be, there's a bunch of negativism and plenty of it to go around that needs to be considered in every conversation about economics had at our government. Just some slight improvement there that we wanted to share with you. Well, that's going to do it for the Tuesday chapter of TNN Live. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget, you can grab this show in its entirety. It'll be posted at the bottom of today's story at truthnewsnet, truthnewsnet.org. See you tomorrow.